0: Legenda por So you're um, you're a human geographer.
1: I'm a human geographer. Yes. Mm. What is that? What is a human geographer? What does a human geographer do? Well, um, geograf- geographers are interested in space and human interactions in space. Um, it's, it's the bridging discipline um, between the, the social sciences and the hard sciences. So we marry the two up together. Right,
0: yeah, so E.O. Wilson would love you so, I would imagine. No, well, he was a,
1: bot- a botanist, wasn't he? Well, no, he, he was an insect. Part.
0: Sociobiologist, I think, oh, would is be he? his... Yeah, he's an insect person, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's his, uh, his argument. And conciliates that it was, you know... His, well, his goal is to try and unite the, the, the hard sciences, as they're called, and the soft sciences.
1: Yeah. Um, no, I, I take great offence being... You know, put together with E. A. Wilson. He's my um, mm. my nemesis. Go on, how come. Well, the half Earth idea, <laughs> right, is 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 uh, is just a nightmare waiting right? to happen. So,
0: happens. what is he proposing? I know we're slightly digressing before we begin, well, is,
1: but it's not what he's proposing; it's hmm. what he's already set in motion. Um, so, he, he wrote a book, um, Half Earth, yeah. where he recent book, isn't it? It's fairly recent. last... what. 2015, 2016. Um, so the book proposes that the only way that we can prevent the massive die-off of biodiversity is to give half of the earth over to nature and let the raging juggernaut of humanity have the the other half. Um, obviously, you know that sounds like a wonderful thing, a very noble effort. But when you think about it, who gets who gets to live in the other half, and who gets to stay put?
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds a bit somewhat Not utopian, dystopian. or dystopian. Yeah, because it's in some sense he's uh, he's he's arguing that we're going to have to. Well, I, that wouldn't require a whole pile of migration of human populations, or would it? Maybe it wouldn't.
1: I think we're seeing already. Mm. I mean, the the IUCN targets are currently set at thirty percent of space dedicated to nature and those targets are probably likely to increase until EO Wilson will be cheering along as we reach the 50% half-earth finish line and what we see is the the UK government bringing in the blue belt um, strategy which is setting aside now 49% of our territorial waters for marine conservation so the, i mean this this is no longer a crazy radical idea this is
0: the so you think it's starting to seep into sort of to policy and well uh, political practice and sort of the ideology of activism and so on
1: yeah i mean what i think we're seeing already not not just in policy but actually the the, the we're seeing these borders being put up already these barriers um, around the british overseas territories for example that's all Ticking along now. So, yeah. Anyway, let, we'll try and keep this as, you know, sort of jovial and happy as possible. I won't just sink everything into a dystopic kind of nightmarish scene.
0: Right, so let's talk about uh, Bitcoin then. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not apocalyptic at all. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I suppose what I would do the digression with uh, Wilson is the idea that you know, you're a human geographer and sort of you're you said that you're you you want to sort of unite the sort of the social sciences with the sort of the empirical sciences right and um, so you're like you're kind of i guess it's an interdisciplinary uh, method you're drawing from like sociology and anthropology and also from well what what's traditionally been known as geography is that right well
1: that's that's where i am specifically in my job here as a, a lecturer in international development international development is an inherently Interdisciplinary, yeah. human trans, disciplinary, discipline. What's the difference between human geography? And no inter and trans. Oh, <laughs> don't, don't get me started. Um, I guess it, the with human geography is all about changing mm. the humans, just moving through space chaotically, mm. trying to make sense of that. Um, development is sort of trying to say that hu- human development is teleological um, so that we are getting better as a species. Um, I don't know if I share that perspective, really. A bit more pessimistic. A bit more pessimistic. More gloomy than that,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what I'm interested in then is why you think that sort of human geography is useful to talk about the, the blockchain. So that's what I want to sort of get to, to, to discuss with you today. Sort of use your expertise to talk about the human geography of, well, not necessarily Bitcoin, but blockchain and cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Right. So you wrote in uh, that sort of the article um, which was in uh, uh, Nature. Yeah. You're well. Well, let's actually start before that. Let's start before the articles. Let's, let's start from your perspective as a human geographer. What would you say blockchain is? Mm. I think that if you can explain that to me like I'm a three-year-old, that would be helpful, Peter, yeah?
1: Okay, well, I'll just start with giving a sort of very quick introduction to blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and then I'll talk Terrific. about why geography is particularly useful in kind of exploring it. Um, so if, the best way to think about blockchain, which is a technology that underpins cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, um, is to think of it like a really clumsy shared google doc that you're sharing with all your family and friends um, you've got some dodgy mates that are trying to put some weird <laughs> pornography on there and you've got some other people that are just speak for yourself all, you know, your family's <laughs> high, but, um,
0: you've got some strange whatsapp <laughs> groups going on yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: me too. So, so you've got other people that are trying to use it just to put on their daily transactions mm-hmm. and things that, they're, that, that to account for their spending um, and when you talk about it like that in those terms then you wonder why there's so much hype behind it really mm. um, because um, the real strength behind Bitcoin is not its efficiency or you know blockchain um, any blockchain applications it's it's transparency and the fact that it's it doesn't rely on having th- trusted third party intermediaries.
0: So that word transparency is interesting. If there are, if there are cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. where is tra- uh, the where is the transparency in the crypto? If you get me.
1: Yeah, because it's encrypted.
0: Is that mm-hmm. what, you're what Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if something's encrypted, it sort of implies, well, as I understand it, something a level of secrecy. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so mm-hmm. how is how is I suppose that's what people's anxiety is about. Uh, Bitcoin and blockchain is and also why people are excited by it mm-hmm. you know that it's that it has this sort of very very high level cryptography attached to it
1: mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah I mean you shouldn't think of a cryptocurrency as being anonymous mm-hmm. that's where all the criminals fall down and get arrested because uh, they think that's the case it's pseudonymous um, but it's quite easy to track down criminals using the blockchain um, because it's a chain. It's <laughs> an immutable ledger, yeah. It's, it's impossible, well, near impossible to corrupt and change. So, um, yeah, if I request some Bitcoin from you, I'd say I want 0.2216 Bitcoin, and then you transfer it, then all the law enforcement needs to do is to go and check the blockchain and they can match both of us together, and before we know, it, we've both got handcuffs on. Yeah. So I mean, if we want to do any dodgy stuff, buy drugs, and pay for hitmen and things, probably block. Bitcoin isn't the way to do it. I told you, I've got a way to wait finally. <laughs> if
0: we. Yeah. So it's not all sort of. Uh, it, I I do understand that. Like from an everyday life sense, people think it's like it's all kind of you know the place where you go to buy guns and stuff like that, and why you know buy drugs.
1: Well, it was the way you bought on the dark the internet, web. Yeah, you know, on the Silk yeah. web. But I mean, look at the mastermind behind the uh, s- the Silk Web, um, Ulrich. Can't remember his surname. Ulrich, someone. Um, he. That's how he was. He. He was caught. He was caught just by being careless, thinking that it was all anonymous, but it wasn't.
0: Yeah. Um, so what is so did Bitcoin then? is an iteration of
1: blockchain, would that be fair to say? Bitcoin was the first experiment in blockchain. So the the, the cypherpunk movement has been going along since the 80s. The so people who... So, were, so, so what does that be? Cipher? The, the, yeah, the cy, cypherpunks. Ah, okay. So yeah, I thought you said yeah. cyber. Yeah, 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 So these were people that are very kind of radical libertarians. Um, back in the 80s that were well into their cryptography and just when the internet came along their their vision was to have the internet as being a very um, kind of open free of government interference um, decentralized um, way of for people to collaborate Um, and that when the global financial crisis kicked in um. Satoshi Nakamoto, who was the mastermind behind Bitcoin, Um, does he he exist? Wow,
0: he's like a financial Banksy, isn't he? I'll tell you. Go on.
1: It's it's me. It's you. Sorry, I (laughs) meant to whisper that. Um, So yeah, I mean he. I'm honoured. Yeah, so he'd already written the paper. Um, the white paper on Bitcoin um, which was picked up on lots of user forums uh, of this sort of cypherpunk movement thing and then Bitcoin was born but there's been other iterations of uh, decentralized um, platforms similar to Bitcoin I mean there's been um, the, the, the Ch- Ch- Chinese coin oh, I think it's Q coin oh I've, yeah I've heard of this yeah yeah, yeah I've heard of um, this yeah so there's been other attempts to try and mm.
0: put this together. Yeah. And th- and see this this blockchain then it's not what interests me in sort of your article which I'll put up on the on the show notes.
1: Okay.
0: Um blockchain technology is not uh, necessarily linked to currency. I mean, so you were saying that like it can be used in voting systems. Yeah, it can be used yeah. in, uh, in sort of government institutions I guess it can be used in sort of
1: corporations is that right? It is and then I think once you realise the potential applications for the technology then you, like, if you're like me you start thinking oh god it's got to be used for this end and I'll give you an example so I'm buying a new house at the minute you know us lecturers we do that with our salaries so you get uh, a solicitor that emails you all the time and asking you for just a document or something for you to sign and then they'll charge you two units of time and each unit is six right. pounds or something like that so you end up paying 15 quid in the end because you've replied to an email or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the blockchain it would be a fantastic way to just get rid of conveyancing altogether. Just get rid of them as a profession. Got <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> to yeah. And um, then just use a decentralized application to do all of that work for us, because all a, a convincing solicitor is is a third, trusted third party intermediary, where the contracting parties don't trust.
0: So the argument then would be that you could have the blockchain. Performing the same service. That
1: facilitates all of those transactions in a way that even if we don't trust each other, we yeah. can trust the information that's mm. being stored immutably mm. on a blockchain. Oh,
0: so, and plus they make stuff up anyway, these conveyors, don't they? I mean, no, they <laughs> make stuff
1: up. The blood sucking yeah. leeches. Did you get stuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I won't tell you. Okay, what yeah. I used. But, um, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you could just. Um, I guess sort of collate all of the documentation on the blockchain. You mm-hmm. can do it that way, but an even cleverer way to do that is to use a smart database um, like that used by the Ethereum blockchain.
0: So, so what this is, what distinguishes Ethereum then as an iteration of blockchain?
1: Right. So, on the Ethereum blockchain, this was the first experiment in blockchain which uses smart contract technology. Okay. So, um, let's you stick with my. Um, example of convincing solicitors um, we could use this if this then that scenario so uh, through our transaction we could specify rules that if I give you this amount of money and this document and this thing from the local planning body or something like that if I collate all of these documents and they're all verified uh, then then you will give me the keys to the house that you're selling to me. So you can that can all be done using self executing codes. Yeah, sure, sure. But I suppose your point is that you get rid of the intermediary of the right. the conveyor. That's right. Yeah. the amount of time. Yeah, I think. I mean, if you you think of that example specifically, that lends itself very well to being having a, a blockchain fix applied to it.
0: Yeah. So you think it's coming, this blockchain? You think it's going to be sort of become more pervasive in all aspects of human life?
1: I think. Yeah. I th- I I think that blockchain has become quite loaded now, um, where people are perhaps quite critical of it because it has been overused and used in ways that potentially kind of aren't required. And I think for that reason, we might see the back end of business administration being governed using blockchain technology, but you as a consumer wouldn't even know about it. Mm. That's quite possible. Um, We're seeing different kinds of blockchain. So Bitcoin is the epitome of a kind of open, transparent, um, accessible blockchain for anyone who wants to get involved in it. If you want to start mining Bitcoin, you just download the Bitcoin Core. program you can start mining and just getting involved in that economy but if you take a an example of like the ibm food trust platform which is a closed permissioned blockchain so ibm would own what we were managing this um, application that's built on this blockchain they would only give rights of access to certain individuals and therefore, it's just it's just a network, really, mm. that's, that doesn't necessarily enable everyone to get involved in it. So there's like loads of different kinds of blockchain. You shouldn't think that they are all... Yes, it's not a homogenous
0: phenomenon. You're, uh, you're interested in this sort of application of blockchain, right? Now, the piece that you wrote tries to explain uh, some of the more positive uh, uses of, say, blockchain uh, technology, Right? Now, because what's interesting to me about that is because normally when we talk about cryptocurrencies, I think there is a kind of, at least as far as I've seen, a prevailing wisdom that this is bad for the environment. As I think you said yourself, uh, you know, uh, the the sort of the electricity in Bitcoin's computationally demanding infrastructure enables digital payments to be validated by means of a decentralized automated proof of work, consensus protocol. And in terms of how much electricity that takes, you say somewhere between Cuba and Poland. (laughs) So we're talking about something the size of a uh, small countries, basically. Well, big countries, big actually. Countries. Poland's is a big country, absolutely. Yeah. Well, my point is, how is that good for the environment?
1: Well, the way that the mm. blockchains grow, because the blockchain is constantly growing, so nothing's ever deleted from it. So the more information, which is, what, four megabytes every 10 minutes is added to the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and then you've got all the computing power that's going into actually mining the coin, which is just, yeah. you know, it makes the actual data storage of the actual blockchain itself look like just nothing really so it, it, the, it's growing all the time the, the the we're going to have this halving event that's going to happen in may sorry a halving okay okay so the, the way it works is you let's say you download the bitcoin core platform and you start mining Bitcoin. sure and then for by some miracle you manage to to um validate a block and you're rewarded by 12 and a half bitcoin which is what you currently get for solving this really complicated math math puzzle um, which enables the validation process on the bitcoin blockchain to continue
0: and you will get 12 bitcoins at the current market and rate half,
1: which and each bitcoin is currently worth 6 7000 pounds or something But you're competing against like these enormous data centers which mines are- effectively yeah yeah, essentially, you know, the size of Nottingham Trent University. Yeah, Just full of servers and things, you know. It's not going to happen, basically. Yeah. It's not going to happen on this. Yeah. No, I'm pointing at your computer, yeah. But, yeah, um... yeah, it's very small. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say you did, you win twelve and a half Bitcoins today, but in May, um, because the Bitcoin cryptocurrency is, is inherently deflationary, every time it produces 200,000 blocks, and one block is produced every 10 minutes. You the reward quantity halves. Ah, okay. Right. So after May, you only get six and a quarter Bitcoin. But the price will probably increase. So you'll have more people trying to mine the remaining amount yeah. of tokens. Right. So because they're putting even more pressure on. Um, so
0: therefore, that says to me then that that's going to require more resources, more, more energy, way. and more electricity more to. To, to, to use so that
1: keep the data centers cold and
0: right so you, there's there's an actual refrigeration element to this because, yeah because oh, yes, yeah. of course computers heat and then you've got computers in massive centers there's going to be more heating yeah. so then you're going to need more refrigeration so so then if they're say in a place like Texas for example right. they're going to need even more
1: uh, cooling yeah but I mean if air conditioning yeah but you you would only put a uh, a bitcoin mining pool um, my money centre close to renewable energy it has to be kind of cheap residual energy because if you think about it so
0: you would say like coal would be better than water currently
1: or, or, or an alternative uh, renewable form of yeah I mean how, how it normally works so 75% of the electricity used to power the bitcoin network comes from renewables and it has to be, I mean it is it is like that because um, take coal which is where most of the power comes from in the UK. That powers our electricity. Yeah. Um, I turn the light on. Someone I don't know. I'm not an expert, but someone down the road switches on the furnace or something, and then I get my electricity. That's instantaneous. It's I weird. hope your house, this new house you move into, you've got to figure it out these. <laughs>
0: No, but go on sorry i'm joking yeah go yeah, on
1: but it's um it's a reactive thing right but when you got you, we can't control the wind we just make electricity out of wind power when it's wind when the wind is blowing not when i want the light being switched on yeah so you have a residual amount of electricity that's just wasted oh. right and what you could do is then hook up a bitcoin mining data center next to that. Yeah. massive wind. Or you retail, can sell it back okay? to the grid. You could, but that's only if people want to mm. buy it. And if if I'm trying to sell electricity in the middle of the day, which is when people generally don't use it because they're you know at work in you know, whatever people do. At work, Using electricity, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but actually, the, the peak load is when people get home in the evening, right? Which is when the Bitcoin infrastructure is switched off because. Basically, all the electricity is going into people's mm. everyday lives. Yeah. So you've got to think about the electricity that's powering the Bitcoin network would probably mm. be going to waste anyway. Potentially, it's still incredibly wasteful. Bitcoin. Oh, sorry, blockchain. Bitcoin, Bitcoin specifically. Um, so when I'm trying to mine Bitcoin, generally, like sorry, but you're not going to mine any Bitcoin mm. using your laptop. You're mm-hmm. going to have to use an ASIC server. Um, which is a specialist-tailored piece of equipment that can only run the complicated maths puzzle to mine Bitcoin, which is called SHA256. So it runs this algorithm in order to try and mine Bitcoin so you can Mm -hmm. get the reward. Um, A SHA256 ASIC server can only be used to mine Bitcoin. So as soon as bitcoin let's say it's not a thing anymore and we go oh let's, i know let's just abolish capitalism or this mm. any form of exchange and let's all just sort of you know exchange food for kisses or something like that which sounds is really brilliant nice. yeah <laughs> then you it's not like you can repurpose all of these asset servers right. in all of these data servers Absolutely. because these these tailored servers can only be used to mine bitcoin they would go straight in the sea yeah. So, so there's yeah. So the different types of cryptocurrency, then, that
0: are using blockchain would have the same problem. I presume because they're, they're sort of internally, cryptographized, if that's a word. No, I
1: mean yeah. this is a, this is a hardware issue, it's not software.
0: Ah, well, I see. It's just yeah. these particular hardware. Yeah. yeah, and
1: they all use these. Um, the these. All these data centers use sha two five six ASIC servers. So, it used to be that you could run the program just on your um, hard drive of your PC. Yeah. Then it became so everyone was like, "Oh, you need a lot more power." And the most powerful chip on your computer is your graphics chip. So everyone used to mine Bitcoin using their graphics. Mm. And now even that's not powerful enough. So they have to use these ASIC servers. And the technology is going to be evolved constantly.
0: Yeah. So I'm still. Right, so this idea—I mean, you mentioned it there about sort of when it came along uh, in the in the '90s, or sort it of was conceived in the '90s—and was, that was very much of that time, that 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 thought that sort of, you know, it was the '90s, like you know, everyone was on, everyone was taking ecstasy and stuff like that, so everyone was going to like. Uh, you know, mining big of <laughs> going to raves. No, I think the point is that there was this sort of impulse for, towards decentralisation. Right?
1: Yeah, liberal yeah. freedoms, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I mean, that was right, right, right. So sort of the Fukuyama idea is working there behind that as well, that this is the end of history, like, you know, and I suppose what characterises this in some ways, uh, it's, it's very kind of, there's something, there is something kind of paranoid about this, or maybe paranoid is too strong a word, there's a, a lack of trust in... The institutions that have traditionally backed money, you know, so like I don't know if you want to go back to the 1700s, go back to the gold standard or whatever, you could talk about that. But the, the, the you know, post sort of 2008, a lot of the enchantment with these alternative currencies emerges from sort of skepticism of one, our public institutions, two, our government, and three, well, banks. Banks are not uh, not trusted, so people are going, Let's 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 use this stuff, let's use this stuff. Well, now that's that's I think that's that's okay. That's, I can understand that, but this idea of decentralization. Decentralization does not imply placelessness, does it? Like I mean, you yourself said this. Like these are, I've looked at pictures uh, on on online. Like when I was preparing for this, of these these Bitcoin uh, factories, these mines. Like and they are massive. They're huge. We are, like we have this impression that they're just you know it's just like a bunch of hackers are you know doing this at the weekend. Uh, but it's but it's not. It's like massive, huge sort of plants. Full of uh, processes and services, right? So that seems to me they would they would have an advantage over my laptop or the competitor down the road, which you know only three factories rather than nine or whatever, right? So that still seems to be tied to place. That's my question. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's lots of. And that's
0: just what the geography side of it. I'm interested in you sort of talking about. Yeah. Uh,
1: This is. The the one bit I guess is like geographers, are, well they should be. I don't think we're seeing a lot of um, critical geographers getting in in this space yet. But I mean, it's it's that surprises me because there's interesting questions around materiality, for example, of yeah. of Bitcoin specifically. Um, yeah. And I and I guess you could just apply a lot of the um, engagements with looking at cloud computing or. Um, But the internet is also in places, isn't it
0: itself? You know, we think the internet is disembodied when it is, in fact, very much hooked up to servers and 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 and, and, you know, it has a physical infrastructure. Yeah,
1: to reality. Yeah, Um, but I mean, there's also, I think, more interesting questions around um, the spatial dimensions of of Bitcoin blockchain, specifically. I mean, if we if we look at um, a project that I'm doing at the minute is looking at crypto colonialism um, so I'm using the example <laughs> so I was just like the, the Irishman and me just
0: with <laughs> all colonialism is crypto Peter <laughs> so I don't specifically explain that term thank you Yeah.
1: So I'm, I guess this term again it's been around a long time but crypto colonialism um, was used as a way of framing the post-colonial era era when um, a lot of the ex-colonies were give, were liberated um, but they became debt slaves in the form of structural adjustment programs. Um, so in that respect, it was sort of a crypto-colonial movement, which which meant that it wasn't like a boots-on-the-ground kind of colonialism, but it was this more kind of economic... Um, mm. Like soft imperialism. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, Of a, of a, of a sort, yeah. Of
1: an implicit, of a, yeah, mm-hmm. a, a sort of covert kind of form of... Mm-hmm colonialism, Um, I I guess I've changed the meaning of it. It's an interesting Um, question
0: to me. I think it's really interesting. It's like, in what sense can these cryptocurrencies be deployed Mm -hmm. in a sort of, in in a colonial sense? I mean, are they tied to countries, for example? You know, are they tied to empires? I mean, they're certainly tied to, that's my point about them being placeless, they're tied to very sort of, they're tied to existing patterns of resource use the that's
1: right yeah we could let's look at Puerto Rico for example so um, after the big hurricane they had in Puerto Rico um, there were lots of people that probably had very good intentions that they were going to make Puerto Rico into this sort of crypto utopia um, cryptopia yeah cryptopia that's a good one. I'll use that one so th- this was basically the Puerto Rican government setting up tax regimes to encourage incentivize it, yeah. distributed app developers to come to Puerto Rico, and they can make it into this sort of hub of blockchain development. Okay. And the fact that they use the US dollar means they could offload, um, they could sell cryptocurrencies to the US without kind of the, the expensive. Wiring the expensive problem
0: of taxation. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I mean, that's one example. How you can how just because it's distributed and decentralised, it still has these big kind of spatially um, important implications. In terms of the implica- in terms
0: of the wielding of political power as well. Like you know, I mean, so within say Puerto Rico, I presume that there would have been internal sort of political antagonisms about how they would. You know whether they ought to or not appeal to bitcoin users and bitcoin developers or sort of blockchain developers in order to 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 to, to, to attract them
1: yeah i mean it's right. i mean naomi klein has a lot to say about this the journalist left-wing journalist she wrote um, on fire was a recent book which she's written and this
0: changes everything this yeah everything. yeah so two sort of, hard two hard sort hard of hard. big um so, so those, um, e- yeah so she's kind of two Key texts in the environmental movement in the past sort of five to ten years. Yeah, Is it?
1: yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, she she's interested in the case of Puerto Rico and these sort of um, crypto utopian people that are basically buying up all of the cheap beachfront accommodation, displacing all the local people that perhaps have different kind of um, so, ideas. So crypto gentrification. Yeah. yeah cryptification I'm (laughs) telling you yeah 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 so I mean this is this is the Puerto Rico one is a good example I've got a paper coming out on. why are you whispering well just just a little just dropping just the people um, yeah send me the link and I'll put it up in the show notes yeah Um, yeah, so it's specifically looking at crypto um, Mm. colonialism so from your research Peter
0: do you think the parallels can be drawn between Good old fashioned sort of say French, British, German colonialism in the sort of said Victorian period, and these this this new iteration of colonialism that's interests me. I'm just curious. Um,
1: yeah, you know, in 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 new novel, innovative ways. I think for sure. I mean, if we if you look at one coin, there's a great podcast at the minute called uh, "The Missing Crypto Queen" that you can listen to on i've heard of this yeah i'll, I'll put a link on the one um, coin isn't a cryptocurrency it's just pretending to be a cryptocurrency and um a lot of the money that's been made is, is from ponzi schemes that have been set up in places like uganda so you get lots of people that probably don't understand cryptocurrencies and blockchains and the technology that sort of underpins yeah. cryptocurrencies but it's for myself like, oh, well i understand bitcoin i understand that people have made a lot of money out of that so i'm and sure so this, so this is sort of um, people that are going to the global South still suffering from the scars of you know traditional forms of colonialism that are now being sort of swept into this other kind of giant ponzi scheme that they don't man mm. they can't benefit from mm. there's I think um, if we look at Jack Dorsey who is The, the Twitter CEO yeah. Um, so he's set up a, an application called Square, which is basically just trying to. I th- uh, this is the way I understand it, this is just my opinion. Um, I think it's trying to compete with platforms like MPESA, Pesa, um, which is a, a money sending app that you can use on your mobile phone. Sure. Um, but Square accepts payments in Bitcoin. Um, and Dorsey has is, is, is been very explicit that he sees Africa as being the, the, the new frontier for blockchain development. Quite men have been doing that for years, well, exactly. haven't they? It deserves our Attention. critical engagement, especially, you know, I think geographers are already um, in the space anyway. We just need to kind of get to grips with the or the techie aspects of it that I think a lot of academics. Yeah. Well,
0: this 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 uh, this 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 interests me again because the way you've talked about it, and you've explained it very well. I think as much as you can explain this, right? You know, it seems somewhat esoteric. I guess you know something called crypto is going to be esoteric, right? But it's mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there is a, when we talk about such sort of conventional methods of exchange, right? There is a sense that. you know, know, a pound is a pound or whatever, and you can buy X amount of goods for it, right? Even like an ATM card, where we're now moving to the cashless societies, or more and more cashless societies, there is a sense that there is an X amount of money someplace. Now, I know money doesn't work like that, you know? I mean, that underlines the fallacy of the idea that that a government gives us a household, uh, can be worked like a household budget. The government budget works the same as a household budget, right? That fallacy. But... I suppose my point is, you know, what is the use value of this you know, for, you know, for someone who doesn't know anything about this? I mean, what you're talking about is something very, very technical and someone who's, got, who's clever and has got more technical aptitude should theoretically be able to do better with this type of currency rather than say someone who's, who knows how money exchange works.
1: Right. I mean, well this is a, the tough bit um, we'll go back to my conveyancing example. Yes. I'm, I'm buying a house, I'm selling a house. I don't I'm not very good at building houses. No. I kind of know that they have walls and a roof and found foundations, is it? Something like that. And then like Last I checked, yeah. down pipes or something like that. And that holds the whole structure up.
0: This is a this is a fantastic little academic yeah. <laughs> jamboree this is <isn't> it, <laughs> like, you
1: know. I don't know. Enough about the fundamentals behind what keeps a house standing upright. But I can still. Or how a credit card works, perhaps. Well, exactly. But I can buy and sell these things because there are a an array of trusted intermediaries that I can hold to account. So if the whole thing falls on its head, you know there was a, a surveyor that. The, the that can system. be sued. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And well, there's there's easy there's, kind of legal recourse for all parties if there's this something. Yeah, does government regulators in place and things like that? The whole system. Yeah. So I can get my money back when things go wrong. That's not there with 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 a lot of these um, distributed systems. So that is why people have to understand the technology. You can't really get involved in a new cryptocurrency project, for example, unless you understand the downpipes and the foundations and the roof and all and all the more technical stuff, what's underneath the floorboards and all of these aspects mm. of it. Because if you don't, you're just going to get swept up in a one coin Ponzi scheme and it will be your own fault because you didn't understand it. Those questions won't be put to people who, you know, lost out in the global financial crisis, for example, because the system's already... Got an array of intermediaries mm. that have to
0: account with that. I guess like the, the Marxists would say, what is the use value of this thing here, of this blockchain? I mean, and you've said like that there's a variety of different uses yeah. of it, you know. But in sort of currency terms, maybe it's not as uh, dynamic as we might think it is. Okay,
1: yeah. I mean, Bitcoin is is a store of value and it's a means of exchange. Right. I mean, yeah. So you store money, yeah. Yeah, essentially. Like it's, your bank account, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some respects, it has a. a, a, a more believable use value than the pounds in your pocket because it's deflationary it can't be kind of controlled by the, the an intermediary or um, yeah, the
0: government can't collapse around it theoretically right
1: yeah yeah, yeah exactly and as long as there's a functioning internet then the thing lives on um oh mm. there's a, there's a problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um there are some um other f- tokens that you can use on other blockchains, that their value comes from the fact that they facilitate um, all the exciting things that that distributed application can do. And I use the example in that paper of a couple of these carbon trading projects where... Right,
0: so here you're referring to, um, you talked about uh, Solarcoin and EcoSphere.
1: Yeah, EcoSphere, yeah, that's an interesting one, yeah.
0: Yeah, so they're using uh, carbon credits uh, to intermediaries using blockchain tokens.
1: Yeah. So, for example, that's uh, so. Poseidon. Um, they, if I'm not mistaken, are using the Ethereum blockchain. Um, how it works is you go into the London store of Ben and Jerry's, and you buy a scoop of ice cream, and that Ben and Jerry's will take a couple of pence extra on the value of this scoop if you give them the permission. They use a blockchain. Um, to convert that to a, a kind of a cryptocurrency token, which is then sent to Cordillera Azul National Park in Peru, and that token is used to reimburse farmers for planting trees. So it's kind of, it's used as an offset for the embodied carbon emissions that come from that scoop of ice cream, you're offsetting it by planting trees in that it. That sounds
0: like a very complicated
1: process. It's really complicated and it makes the question, why don't you just use the money to plant trees in your back garden or... <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. This is the way the global yeah. economy works. So the global indeed, economy indeed. finds the most cost-effective solutions to... Problems, and if that means planting trees where (laughs) it's cheapest to plant, which is in Peru, Mm. rather than where land is expensive in Mm. Nottingham, then uh, let's plant them in Peru. But the value of the token itself comes from being part of this
0: network. network. Yeah. So it's still. I'm still. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about this? Really? I mean, in the in in the in the article, you say you're optimistic. I, I just in an intuitive sort of idiot, you know, philosophy of everyday life. Since like uh, you know, you as I said, talk to me like I'm a three year old on this, because this is not going to disrupt existing patterns of consumption. In fact, if anything, it's going to amplify them, which in turn will be bad for the environment. Now, I, I, I presume you can use, all, you know, these, these these factories can use like alternative sources when they become very, very efficient. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what, what do you think? Are you optimistic or pessimistic on this? Or do, you, do you share in my gloom?
1: I don't know. I'm kind of optimistic. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm like you, I think. You know, I think that if, if you're not smashing shit up, you're wasting my time sort of thing. You know, get rid of capitalism. Mm. Um, how, and, and I think a lot of these projects um, kind of, they... Um, how have I, how, have I, how a good? they reproduce capitalist forms of class power, definitely. Oh, so there's a re- replication,
0: you think, Peter, of hierarchy in some of these internal economies. And
1: if you take, for example, coronavirus in China. Um, what we see is a massive spike in the price of Bitcoin around the outbreak of, of the coronavirus. Well, because and a lot of it is mined in China. A lot no. it, but that's not the only reason. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a country where, that has tight fiscal controls, especially on capital flight outside of the country, it, the only way that you can get take money out of China quickly, a lot of money, is using Bitcoin. And this is why Bitcoin price goes up because everyone Everybody it, wants Everybody wants it. To, they need to get out quick, you know, need to move. Um, and in that respect, it's sort of like you, you'd have a very, what's the word, kind of um, or, orchestrated, kind of uh, fiat based mm. economy that has tight controls from the government. And Bitcoin kind of enables a more kind of free global economy, which is the epitome of neoliberalism, really, isn't it? To remove all of those barriers that governments try and put up for capital.
0: And it's what? Well, what's the alternative? Is the alternative then just protectionism? You know, <laughs> I mean, that's, I suppose that's what a lot of the political configurations that we've seen emerge in the past couple of years. Sort of, Trump ran in a sort of an isolationist thing. Brexit was a sort of a, a, pro- a protectionist. Uh, project.
1: Right, and if the and if, you know the primary role of the state is to facilitate the free market, and then what are we going to do? We entrust, you know, or give trust to that you know, government and that form of regulation. Probably that well, I I trust people in my network mm-hmm. more, you know, and and I think um, Bitcoin. I see, I see, yeah. So you, you that space,
0: yeah, yeah. So you trust uh, your you, your mates on WhatsApp.
1: I trust the information on the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, for example. More than yeah, Donald Trump and, and uh, whoever's
0: in charge of whatever charge, national. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's where that's where the that's where the optimism lies. That it sort of hopefully this can
1: cultivate new networks of trust and. Uh, I think we need to remain very vigilant. Um, I mean, again, I mean, if we look at Chile, um, the big rights in Santiago. Um, And again, we see a spike in Bitcoin price and lots of Bitcoin take-up in these localities during these times of civil unrest. Um, But all that we're really seeing, then, if you look at that, is that Bitcoin enables capitalism to carry on unabated. So you don't... the, the civil unrest doesn't cause a disruption for the
0: economy. I suppose it would be even an intensification of uh, capitalism because it's it's you know you don't really need a government to guarantee anything more. It's a sort of well you said a libertarian. There's an absolute lack of um, regulation and you have a sort of an unfettered free market.
1: Yeah, I mean there's some horror, real horror stories with this technology as well. There's um, um, a a coin called repo coin. Um, I can't remember if I spoke. We talked about this in the article, but um, so the way it works, in the UK, um, if you hire a what well, you buy a car, but you do it on higher purchase, then you have to pay instalments until you own the car. Yeah, um, and while
0: the car is depreciating in value. Well, yeah.
1: Mm. I mean, and if I don't make a repayment on time, then that the hire company or the car, whatever whoever sold me the car, they have to go to the court to get a CCJ issued against me so they can get the money back or the car repossessed or something like that. In America, it's different. In America, the, hire, the company that sold me the car gets a copy of the key and they only relinquish that copy of the key once it's all paid off. Um, the only problem is, is that they have no way of locating where my car is if I stop making payments. So they've set up a system called Repocoin And how it works is that if I believe, as a normal citizen, that someone owns a car and they're not making regular repayments on it, I I download the RepoCoin app. I take a photo of the number plate in whatever location the car's in, and I'm rewarded with RepoCoin, which I can then... Use to buy or not to but but it's a reward program so i can get cinema tickets or something like that in exchange for repo coin but obviously what happened was is that you just get loads of rich tech savvy white kids that go into poor predominantly black neighborhoods taking photos of these expensive cars only for them to lose their car and it get repossessed while well, you know the re- so the system is open to fraud and manipulation well that's not manipulation that's no. just how the system is meant to run but right it, <laughs> it, but it reifies all of these kind of inherent you know uh, bias and bigotry that comes within our society I mean just because it's high-tech and it's all on the blockchain it doesn't kind of absolve us of any of I mean, political problems.
0: responsibility yeah Yeah. Okay, Okay, I think you need to go to a meeting now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.